Well, thanks to our worship team for leading us in a great time of praise and music. And we're going to move right into the sermon without a lot of introduction, except to say that Pastor Mark preached a wonderful series of messages this spring uh, on the concept of legacy, leaving a legacy. And I wasn't quite ready for him to finish that. He's preaching at Kinsey campus today. And they took the graphic down, but I'm preaching on legacy too. And uh, I have a little seniority over Pastor Mark, not in this church. He's been here about 11 years. And this August, believe it or not, it'll be seven years since Becky and I moved back and I came on staff. Seven years seems unbelievable, but um, I'll be 70 next month. And I've had uh, 49 years of ministry in the Church of the Nazarene. So if I want to continue the... If I want to continue the series on legacy, then I'll do that, whether the graphic's up there or not, right? Okay, so let's just jump right into this. Much of this message was inspired by Psalm 145. If you have a device that has the Bible app on it or your real Bible with you, you can turn to Psalm 145. We're not going to read all 21 verses, but I'll be referring to excerpts from Psalm 145 during this message. The message is how to live and leave a lasting legacy. That's some alliteration there, isn't it? How to live and leave a lasting legacy. In Psalm 145, verses, well, verse four, chapter four, verse nine, it says this, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. This verse became kind of a family theme verse for the Hancock family back in 1995 when we went on a nine-week trip together. We sang and ministered in churches uh, from actually from uh, Washington, D.C., to the Grand Canyon uh, over a nine-week period. Most Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights, we were either singing or I was preaching or we were leading a service in some way, just our family of five. And we memorized this verse and we quoted it often to each other and it became kind of our family life verse. Let me read it again. In fact, you read it with me. Is it still up there? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. How to live and leave a lasting legacy. The first thing I want to tell you is simply this. It doesn't happen by accident. Now, you'll leave a legacy of some kind. You'll automatically leave some sort of legacy. But if you want to leave a Christian legacy, a wholesome, productive, positive legacy, it doesn't happen by accident. You have to work at it. Look at what the Hebrews call the Shema. When we see that word, it looks like Shema, S-H-E-M-A. But it's, you know, if you want to sound educated, then you say Shema. Everybody say Shema. Okay, the Shema of the Jewish faith is found in these verses from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The Jewish Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Let me give you the Mike Hancock paraphrase of those verses. Keep it on the screen so you can kind of see where I get some of this teaching from. But if I had to put this in my own modern day terms, I would say, love God supremely. Now, that's not a word we use very often. When I was uh, a kid in the 60s, I knew all about Diana Ross and the Supremes. That meant they were like the top the, the ultimate, the Supremes, right? Whatever is supreme is number one. So we are to love God supremely. No other gods before him. We know the commandments say that. No other hobbies, no other activities, no other people, no other uh, loves in our lives can be above our love for God. Love God supremely. Remember, if you're going to leave a lasting legacy, a Christian legacy, you've got to love God supremely. Keep his commandments in your heart so strongly that they easily play out in everyday life. Have you discovered, those of you who've been Christians for a while, the longer you live for the Lord, the more you learn, the more you apply to your life, the easier it becomes to live that out, the more automatic it becomes. I mean, at first it seems like such a struggle. I've got to give up this. I've got to change this way. I've got to start doing that. But the longer you live for the Lord, the more you learn, the more you apply to your life, the more you surrender to God, it becomes easier to live it out and for it to play out in your everyday life. So talk about these commandments, teach them, and get this, parents, enforce their observance. Now, I don't mean to be legalistic, but if they're in your house, you can enforce the observance of these rules or of these laws, the law of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. So we're to love him so supremely and we're to keep his commandments so strongly that they easily play out in everyday life and we talk about them, we teach them, and we enforce their observance in our home. We talk about the Lord and his will at home, during commercials. Yeah, that's a good time. Who wants to watch crappy commercials anyway? Hit the mute button and say, you know, that reminds me of a little story. You can talk about the Lord during the commercials. Or when that thought-provoking show or movie is over, talk about things. You can talk about the Lord and his will around the table. Anybody remember what the table is? That's where we have meals together. That's food. We, we actually put food on the table. We sit down around the table and we eat. And between bites, we talk about things. And we often have to utter this phrase, no, you're not excused. We're talking. No, you can't pick up your device. We're talking. No, you can't text your friend back. We're talking. 
we're actually talking around the table. You're not excused, we're talking. You can talk about God and his will around the table, at bedtime, as they go out the door on their way to school in the morning, in the car, on your family outings, when they're scared or confused, when you have to discipline them, and at every special occasion. Now, let me just throw in a word of practical advice. Starting today, wouldn't it be great if every Christian family decided we will never have a family activity or occasion without praying? You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, our daughter's graduating from high school. We're going to stop the party at some point and say, folks, gather around. We're praying for our graduate. Here's the birthday boy. He turns 13 today. Stop. Before he blows out his candles, let's have a prayer for him. This is an important year of his life. He's going to make some important decisions. He's going through some changes. He's actually going to think girls are attractive at some point in his life. Yeah, let's pray for this boy. We're at a family reunion. Folks, we have a lot to be thankful for. There are a lot of people in our family tree that pointed us to God. Let's stop right now and have a prayer. Wouldn't it be something if every Christian family decided that starting today from now on, there's going to be a prayer at all of our special occasions, birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, family reunions, all of those things. Because God has blessed us and provided for us, we're going to honor him and we're going to be a testimony to those that are listening. Amen, Pastor Mike. I'm still paraphrasing. Put scripture or inspirational quotes on your walls, on the coffee table. Does anybody have coffee tables anymore? I don't know. In their lunchbox. Yeah, a little note. I love you and God is with you today. In their notebook, on the dashboard, on their mirror, on the fridge, as the wallpaper on their device and other creative places. Get the Word of God out there for them so they're confronted with it and they read it and they see it and they begin to believe it. Everywhere they look, they should see evidence that our family belongs to God and He is in charge. That's what that says in modern day English. We love God supremely. We're gonna serve Him no matter what. This house is going to be immersed in the things of God and the ways of God. And more than anything else, children, we want you to know and love God and find his will for your life. Amen. We have to be intentional about it. It doesn't happen by accident. We have to say this happens on person, on purpose. We set goals. We're disciplined at this. We have to be diligent. It's hard work. Yes, dads, it's much more inviting to come home and crash after work. But sometimes that's when the real work begins, when we get home. Because there are people that need us and are watching our lives. And we can't be lazy about leaving this legacy. We have to be diligent. We have to be consistent. We have to be the same way at home as we are at the ball field. We have to be the same way at home as we are at church. We have to be the same way 
at home as we are when we're out impressing our friends or other family members or at a community or school event? Are we consistent in our Christian life? The way we talk, the things we do, the testimony we leave. You see, folks, this is real stuff. We only get one chance at this. You only have one opportunity to live your life. You may only have one opportunity to leave an influence on someone, your own children, or those who are watching your lives. This is serious, real stuff. And it's not just life and death stuff. That would be crucial enough. This is eternal stuff. Eternity is in the balance here. Doesn't happen by accident. And while we're attempting on purpose to live and leave a lasting legacy, we have to do our best to make it as attractive and pleasant as possible to those around us, especially to our children and grandchildren. Look at Psalm 25:10. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Doesn't that sound positive? Doesn't that sound pleasant? Doesn't that sound attractive? His ways are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his, of his covenant. And then Psalm 145 that I referred to a little while ago. One generation commands your works to another. All right, which generation is going to do that? Probably the older generation is going to start the ball rolling. One generation commands your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor. That sounds pleasant and attractive. The glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Now that sounds so opposite of people who raise their kids this way. Now... We're not going there. We can't do that. We don't have enough money. And besides, the Lord frowns on that. And people at the church might talk bad about us. We don't do that kind of stuff. No, the ways of the Lord are attractive and pleasant. They're good and wonderful and awesome. Let's make it sound that way to our children and their children after them. Don't be legalistic. It's so much easier, I know, to just say no. Dad, can we? No. Mom, what if we? No. That's, that's kind of our default, isn't it? To just quickly say no. Why? Because I said so. Well, there is a time that we have to say that. But don't be quick to say no and don't and can and shouldn't. Be more realistic. Even word it more attractively. You know, son, I know better from experience. That's probably not a good choice. It may even give you the opportunity to say why you know that's not a good choice. Because your son or daughter may be facing the same kind of temptation or peer pressure. You may just have to say, how about if we step back and wait? How about if we listen? How about if we're a little more careful here? Well, we better not. Or... Learn to be strong in those situations, son or daughter. 
Make it pleasant and attractive. Talk about the positive things of serving and obeying God and doing his will. Yes, they may have to give up a few things that the world thinks are fun or exciting or necessary or normal or cool, but we get these kind of benefits. Joy, freedom, clear conscience, sobriety, no guilt, no covering our tracks. We have trust and we have peace and we have hope in Christ. Look at the positive we receive when we give up just a little bit of negative. We can keep our families so busy doing good and productive things that we don't have time to do the things that are negative and harmful and wasteful. Keep our eyes on Jesus and make him attractive and pleasant to those around us. Well, the third piece of advice is this. Don't apologize or feel like you have to defend the Lord. <laughs> oh, I, I think I've been there as a, as a parent. Don't apologize or try to defend the Lord. You see, life experience, get this now, life experience shows that God's way is always best. I mean, you, you give me an example of someone that chose God's will and it was total disaster. It wiped them out. They were a basket case. Even if something bad happened temporarily, in the long run, God's way is always best. Undeniable, unmistakable. Life experience shows that God's way is always best. There will be challenges, twists and turns, unanswered questions. That's life. But with God as our foundation, we don't have to defend him. We don't have to apologize for our beliefs. We can stand strong. Now, there's a word that in the Bible, in English, it's translated as a word we don't like a whole lot. We would never want to be described this way. If someone said this about you, you would probably be offended or hurt. But the Bible, at least in the English translation, uses this word in a very positive way. Has anybody figured out what it is yet? The word is peculiar. Oh, he's rather peculiar. Yeah, he's a nice guy, but He's a little peculiar. We don't like that, that, that uh, description. We don't want anybody to say that we're peculiar. We think of it as being awkward or strange or odd or a little off here or eccentric. But the Bible uses the word peculiar as a description of God's people. He has called us as his peculiar people. It doesn't mean odd in the sense that we think of, but it means separated from others. We are to be separated for a holy purpose. That's why we're God's peculiar people. He doesn't just put us in the general population. He pulls us out to make us holy, and then he sends us back in to infect the general population with his holiness. Well, that's a good infection, isn't it? 
So we are his peculiar people, and that's okay. We don't have to apologize for that, and we don't have to defend God. He has called us for a purpose, and if we want to live and leave a lasting legacy, we'll remember it doesn't happen by accident. We'll try to make it pleasant and attractive, and we won't have to try to defend God or apologize for where we stand. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He thought he knew better. He asked his dad for his inheritance early. He was the second son. The first son was supposed to get more inheritance, but the father gave in, gave the son his inheritance, and he took off. He thought he knew better. He thought he could choose more wisely. He had great plans, but the Bible says he went to a far-off country, and as long as he had money, everything was fine, but when he ran out, lost his friends, lost his lodging, lost his sustenance. The Bible says he ended up feeding hogs. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but if he was a Jewish boy, it's Jesus who was a Jew telling the story, that would not be a good location for a Jewish boy. Among the pigs, feeding the pigs. The Bible says he was so hungry, he went through the trash first to see if there was anything he could eat before he gave the rest to the hogs. And he came to his senses, remember that? He came to his senses and he remembered even the hired help back home have it better off than this. I'm gonna go back and ask dad for a job. I know I don't deserve to be his son anymore. But he went back, he went back humbly and the dad didn't even have time to listen to his apology. He was so happy to see him. He ran to meet him, he restored him as his son We don't have to apologize for how we're raising our children or the, the things we're enforcing or the, the standards that we have because there's a time when they'll be attracted back to that. We're creating green pastures so that when the sheep wander off or the boy goes to a far country, he'll remember where he was loved and cared for and his needs were met. In Hebrews chapter 11, Verse 24 to 26, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. It's okay to sacrifice a little bit now. We don't have to apologize for that. We don't have to try to defend the Lord. His ways are always best. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The final thing I want to tell you is keep your priorities right. Keep the main thing the main thing. Priorities. Wow. I think that I would be correct in telling you that Becky and I have tried to make our Christian home a priority. It doesn't just happen by accident. We've tried to make it attractive and, and pleasant for those who are watching us, especially our children and grandchildren. But we want to continue to keep our priorities right. The main thing is Jesus. Becky and I went to visit Phyllis Boyles. She's 90 years old now. She's in a nursing home here in town. She and Paul have been in this church for 50 or more years. And uh, she was holding 
in her hand, on her lap, one of those little Salmon Head of Christ photos. You know, the, the, the traditional one with all the brown tones, Jesus with the long hair, the dark complexion. Probably the most familiar picture of Jesus that someone has ever painted. She had that little photo card in her hands. And as soon as she saw us and recognized that we were from the church, she said, my priority is Jesus. 90 years old in the memory unit, but she still knows her priority is Jesus. He's my priority, she said. And that's the way it ought to be for every one of us at any stage of our life. The main thing is Jesus. Now, there are a lot of social issues and you'll have an influence on your children when it comes to these issues. Whether you sit down and talk to them or not, they're watching your life. They'll see where your priorities are. They'll see what you believe about certain things and certain issues. They'll overhear what you say in discussions. They'll ask you questions. And this may sound kind of strange, but I don't care as much about where you stand on these social issues as I care about something else. So let me list some of those social issues for you, and then I'll tell you what I really care about. I don't care what your stand is on gun control, climate change, abortion, or immigration. I don't care where you stand on abuse and human trafficking, or on crime or politics or sports. I don't care where you stand on pollution, sexual identity issues, alcohol and drugs, animal rights, environmental concerns, or the economy. Those are all vital concerns, I know, and we all have opinions about that. But I don't care, as one of your pastors, I don't care where you stand. You can post it all over social media and, you know, sometimes make a fool of yourself and sometimes make a point. Doesn't matter where you stand on those issues. The main issue is this. Where do you stand on Jesus? Where do you stand on Jesus? Is he the only way, truth, and life? Is he the only hope? Is he the only savior? Where do you stand on Jesus? If you get the Jesus thing right, other issues will fall into place. You'll ask yourself, what did Jesus say about that? What does the eternal word of God say about that? If the Bible or Jesus didn't comment on that particular issue, then ask in the overall scheme of things, in the holiness of God, where would he want me to form my opinion on that issue? But the main issue, folks, is Jesus. Where do you stand when it comes to him? Teach your children to love God supremely and to love others because Jesus loves others much more than you even imagine. And you can live and leave a lasting legacy of holiness and love that will affect the generation after you and the generation after them and the generation after them. Living and leaving a lasting legacy. Let's bow our heads. Lord, on this Memorial Day weekend, we now get to participate in a memorial that is probably, well, without a doubt, the most important memorial of all. I've been to memorials in Washington, D.C. and in cemeteries, and literally around the world. 
I've stood in front of, maybe even taken photos of some very significant and impressive memorials. But this simple act of receiving your body and blood is the memorial that means the most to me and to these Christians gathered here. As our servers come and prepare the gifts of communion for those who will come forward, and as you hold in your hand the prepackaged set of communion, we're going to remember again how much God loved us, so much that he gave his only son for our salvation. This memorial is not a memorial sponsored by the Church of the Nazarene. It's a memorial established by Jesus himself. With arms open wide, he invites you here. You may not feel worthy, but if you're seeking after the Lord today, this is a means of grace by which you can draw closer to him. And so, Lord, we thank you for inviting us to your table. 